From local to global, we bring you the best conversations with your favorite athletes and Olympians. This is the Olympics.com podcast. Welcome to a pivotal episode of the Olympics.com podcast. Tom Kirkland here, joined by our dedicated podcast team. Today, we delve into an issue close to our hearts and minds, mental health. As part of World Health Month, it's important to remember that mental wellness is not a once-a-year focus, but a daily endeavor in a world that seems increasingly complex by the minute. Our guiding light today and always is the art of living mindfully. It's all about finding ways to constantly refocus to the task at hand, bringing your attention back to the present moment right here, right now. Athletes renowned for their physical prowess are not immune to the toll stress takes on mental well-being. And let's face it, we all grapple with stress in one form or another. Our aim today is to equip you with tangible insights on recognizing stress and applying actionable strategies for relief. Our discussion today is not only aimed at athletes, but extends to each and every one of us who strives for mental equilibrium. It's definitely more of a hot topic now. Um, when I first started, we didn't really deal with it or, or talk about it. Uh, now more players are, are being more open about it, and I think it's really good for the game. To add a depth of expertise to today's conversation, we're joined by Christopher Henriksen, a distinguished professor of sports psychology at South Denmark University. Christopher has served Team Denmark as a sports psychologist for over a decade. Also with us is Epe Udo. You may know that name, former first-round NBA draft pick, now an assistant coach with the Atlanta Hawks. Epe has not only seen victory in the European League, but also offers a unique global viewpoint as an Olympian. Before we begin, let me point out to you a resource that's invaluable for anyone looking to enhance their mental and emotional well-being. Our Athlete 365 platform, available on Olympics.com. Here, you'll find a wealth of resources to guide you on your journey to mental wellness. All right, let's dive in. Olympics.com podcast. We're honored to bring together two individuals with diverse yet highly relevant expertise to enlighten us on navigating the challenges of mental health. Thank you both for being here to shed light on this critical subject and for helping us all to strive for a better state of mind. Before we begin, let me point you to a resource that's Uh, invaluable for anyone looking to enhance their mental and emotional well-being. Our Athlete 365 platform available on olympics.com. That's Athlete 365. Here you'll find a wealth of resources to guide you on your journey to mental wellness. And and away we go. I'm going to start with uh, Christopher, if you don't mind. Just wondering, how has your view of mental health for athletes changed over the past decade? I think we have all become much more aware of uh, mental health over the last decade. It's uh, It's gone from being something we didn't talk much about in elite sport. Maybe we had a, a feeling that super athletes were also superhuman or superheroes, and therefore they were not in a in a state where this would be a problem for them. Uh, we realize now that this is not the case, and uh, I, today I really believe that uh, focusing on mental health should be a core component of any culture of excellence. Um, and I, I think that um, young people, when they devote themselves wholeheartedly to the pursuit of excellence, they deserve that we look out for their not only their performance, but also for their well-being. And Epe, uh, you began your journey chasing your basketball dream. So how has the issue of mental health evolved over your career? 
I would say, I mean, it, it has, it's, it's, um, it's definitely more of a hot topic now. Um, when I first started, we didn't really deal with it or, or talk about it. Uh, now more players are, are being more open about it. And I think it's really good for the game because it, it's more than whatever sports you play or whatever career um, that you have. No doubt about that. Uh, Christopher, the stressors that create the issues certainly have changed. Which ones are most concerning to you these days? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the overall um, sort of competitive international sport has, has for sure put increasing, increased pressure on on, the, on athletes, whether those are elite athletes, Olympic, Paralympic athletes, or professional athletes. And and the pressure comes from many sides. I mean, uh, increasing trade training loads, performance demands, they play more competitions than they used to. Um, I think that sometimes we see coaches that are under pressure to deliver results in order to get their contracts re- renewed, and and that this stress rubs off off on the athletes. Um, I think we see media taking an interest in not just sort of the 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 sport, the athletes, but also the their personal life. And I think social media is something that we can't not talk about. It it remains sort of a constant, ever present pressure that as an athlete you have to deal with it. And uh, and um, I think under the camouflage of free speech. Uh, social media sometimes allow people to to say what they want and when they want and how they want and we see sometimes that this can become abusive and toxic toxic and um and i think these these are all pressures that an elite uh, athlete has to navigate yeah and it's 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 really tricky i i'm not sure if there's one that is more concerning to me than another i think it's sort of more the the amount of different stresses that athletes experience beyond just the ones coming from the sport right well we'll get into social media uh, more just in just a bit. So, Epi, can you describe uh, the stressors you faced in your playing days versus now as an assistant to Quinn Snyder with the Atlanta Hawks? It's two different worlds, I realize. Right. <laughs> yes, it, it, it's funny when I walk in the building and they say, hello, coach. <laughs> you know, we just retired. It, I get a weird feeling, but I'm starting to embrace it more. Uh, I mean, I think I think the stressors are, are, are the same. Um, everybody competes, um, but now I think everything is so accessible. Like this, oh, yeah. this phone here has the. Yeah, you really have the world at your palm. Um, you have to be careful with that, right? and you have to be aware. Uh, so I think a lot of the stressors now are are. Um, of course, they're internal, but I think it's more external factors, um, and I think you know that's where it's really gone, and we you know we'll c- continue to go. So we definitely need to get a handle on that. Yeah. You have a unique insight on in-game stressors, both as a player and a coach. And and there's also the off-court life stressors. Can you maybe differentiate that and, and how difficult? I mean, in-game stressors, you know, that's basketball. You can handle that and you, and you can coach. Yeah. It's real. No, that's. That's that's very real. Like you know, for example, you get go to the free throw line. You know, the game's on the line. Every free throw counts. So you have to really think about that. Uh, you have to deal with, oh man, I didn't do the right play here. Uh, so what's coach gonna think? Okay, if I look at coach, what's he? What's the reaction? You know. Um, so you have all of those in game stressors. Uh, hopefully, you know you you've put the work in that that'll kind of help you lean on the work. Um, so that's where I see it's really on the court, and you know, like having. You want to move as a unit on the court. You want to be in sync, right? So if you're out of sync, you know you're putting more pressure on yourself. Um, and then off the court, you know, so it's, 
there's all levels to it, you know, uh, being able to, to deal with family, uh, being able to deal with whatever's going on with the team, you know, uh, the front office, you never know when you can get traded. So you want to try to stay ahead of that if that's even possible. But those are some of the stresses off the court that you have to deal with, uh, whether you have a, a partner um, and how y'all's relationship is going. Um, you know, so it, it, it is very tough. Christopher, off of that, uh, how do you work with your athletes on in-game stressors? What is your sort of your mantra uh, in-game, in competition? I mean, it's kind of a different world than than life outside and, and social media and all that. It's a very specific target, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think that athletes today have realized that working on their sort of their mental game is every bit as important as working on sort of the physical strength or the uh, the tactical abilities and all that stuff. So I, I feel that there's a big demand for, you know, a, a, you know, athletes wanting to learn how to handle all that stuff. And it's it starts with the in-game uh, things, right? And, uh, and I think we need to just speak about how humans are equipped with a mind that wanders <laughs> off and uh, does that naturally. And, uh, and sometimes it wanders off to the past. Oh man, if I only had missed that point or if only I hadn't ma- made that mistake, then what would have been uh, my situation now? And sometimes it wanders into the future. If we win this game or if I, if, if I do this or that, I could, I could become the next world champion or I could, you know, and, uh, and, and, and it's, um, I think it's all about finding ways to constantly refocus to the task at hand, come bringing your attention back to the present moment right here, right now in a way that is um, not about saying, you know, man, why does my mind go? That's too bad. Why can't I control? No, I mean, it's just a natural thing that happens all the time. And uh, and as soon as you realize, you know, that's the first step towards coming back to the present moment. And, uh, and, uh, and, and this is, I think, extremely helpful for athletes and to realize that. And Epe, that's all about like pay, play it forward, isn't it? I mean, you can't do anything about what just happened. Play it forward. And, and yet, the you know, human nature is to run back down court. How did I miss that? When all they want you to do is get back and play defense and make the next shot. Right. Um, and, you know, it's tough. You know, it, it really is. It's tough to stay present with whatever may be going on in the game. Um, but that's something that you have to work on. You know, um, maybe it's in the summer when you're playing pickup, you know, these things may happen um, in practice for sure. You know, coaches or we as coaches, we put you through different drills that 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 might get you down, but then you have to get back next play. Uh, so that's where I see it um, happening a lot. Just like right now, like my mind just went somewhere for no apparent reason. But, it's you know, like it's natural. It, it, it's life. So you have to accept it. But then, you know, continue to try to keep the players or, or workers, employees, you know, present and in the moment. Christopher, what signs do you look for to maybe identify a problem before it becomes debilitating for a player? How do you how do you approach what what do you offer in terms of coping resources? I mean, it, it's uh, it's a hard thing, but I'm sure once in a while you say, hey, this doesn't look or feel right. Sure, um, but I think it's uh, it's for me it's all about sort of empowering the athletes. But it's it's, it's no use to them that I can see it. They need to learn to see it. <laughs> so uh, so we will do a lot of um, analysis of different situations in a competition where uh, even though they had a certain intention in mind, they ended up doing something else. They were pushed out of their away from their game plan by difficult thoughts or emotions. You can imagine 
a sailor having decided to to start on a particular place in the starting line, but then you know, like a, a really bad competitor is there, or you know, you feel that there's too many people and it's too stressful, and all of a sudden, for no reason and without making a decision, you are somewhere else on the start line where there's more room and it's nice to be there, but it wasn't what you set out to do. And and for athletes to understand these mechanisms, um, I imagine that in basketball you would be passing on a ball even if you have a free shot because it feels uncomfortable for you to, to to take that sort of responsibility for the team. And, uh, and, and to understand those mechanisms is really important for athletes. And um, and I think much of what I do is, is focused around three key sort of things that you can work on. One is to to know your values as as um as an athlete, what do I want to stand for on the court, like in in the actual competition, in the training environment, but even also as a, as a human being outside of training, who is like what what would I like my career or my sports career to be about beyond just the the results, right? But you you need to know, I want to be courageous, or I want to be patient, or I want to be whatever, and then and then following on that. Uh, being present in that very moment, sort of realizing what's going on inside of me, what are the thoughts and emotions that are coming up, and accepting these. That's the third part, like accepting that this is part of human nature and and that I just need to refocus to my values and the way that I want to play again and again and again. Not because there's something wrong with me, because just because that's human nature. Epe, I'd like to get into your head a little bit about what it's like uh, to be in that zone. They always talk about, you know, great players, what the game slows down for them. The confidence is there. You see things. And, and yet if you're a rookie coming in or you're nervous, it's all sped up and it's kind of crazy. You see that. Right. And I think um, w- one of the points that Mr. Chris just hit on is like patience. Like we can't get it like right away. You know, it, it takes time. It takes you know, workouts, summer workouts, it takes practices, it takes games, uh, you know, to be able to allow yourself to be present. Because like, if you're coming off of the bench and you're not present, you won't be following what's going on in the game. And then when coach calls you in, it's like, you know, you're, now you're wide eyed because you don't, you weren't paying attention. So you, so you give yourself, uh, you put yourself in a hole in a sense, uh, going into the game. So it, it's, it's very important to stay patient, to stay patient. But, you know, that zone is just like you've prepared, you're ready, you're confident, you and your, I played basketball, so I played. So you and other four teammates are on the same page. Like it's just, it's automatic, you know, and that takes time. And so when you get there, it's like, there's nothing in the world better than that, right? When you're striving to be the best, everything your coach will call a play you won't even have to look up you won't even have to see any of your players you just know this is the timing this is the pace that i wish i need to play whether i make it miss it turn it over i'm getting back i'll slap hands with my with my teammates i'm still locked in into uh what i need to do on the opposite end that's great uh, it would seem stressors and and danger zones are totally different for professional athletes against young players just learning. How do you address each? I know you deal with the professionals, but I know, you know, being the kind of guy you are, you, you know, it's you're all over the place trying to help athletes of all ages. But it's a different formula, isn't it? I, I think you have to meet them wherever they are. Meet them where they are and build from there. Like Mr. Chris said, just empower them. Uh, you know, we got to take it slow. You know, if 
like you say, you're a rookie coming into this game. You know, um, you just played in summer league. Summer league is totally different from opening night when you're going against all NBA players, best of the best. So just meet them where they're at and then like in practice or things of that nature, go, you know, um, bump them a little bit, let them know, like you see what's going on. Make sure like you're focusing in practice. Make sure even if you're on the sideline, because some rookies don't get to get into practice, but make sure you're paying attention and, and picking out things you want to work on. So when coach does call you, you're ready to go. Uh, you know, you're just ready to go, ready to perform. And then that'll help and give you the confidence in, in staying present. Do you sometimes have to? I know there's a good cop, bad cop sometimes with assistant coaches and the head coach. Just just the idea of having to have, having to go to different levels with different people. And sometimes you got to be uh, tough love. Um, yes. I, I, you know, everybody's different. You have to communicate. You know, for me, I just want to keep it. Keep it a hundred, as the kids would say. Just be honest, you know, with the with the, the young man, young woman, uh, um, whatever. Uh, and, you know, yeah, coach. It may be one of those days where you got to go over there, put your arm around them, and say, "Hey, man, it's gonna be days like this. This this is part of the process." You know, Joel and B says, "Trust the process. This is part of it." You know, so we got to take these these lessons and, and continue to work at them. And you know, and then you're gonna have wins. And on those days, I'm gonna put my arm around you like good work. Um, but don't get content. We still got to continue to push. And and Christopher, this it's kind of the same idea that some athletes respond better to different coaching, to harsh, more hard, hard coaching, and others who are, you know, kind of uh, like a, a brother or a father figure or a mother figure in coaching. Do you see that? Well, I mean, sure, the context only changes, and, and uh, coaching is science and art. And the science is the easy part, I think, when you but the, but the art it is all about sort of finding out that little bit differences that work for the individual athletes. I think though overall that also when we tie it into mental health that um, my own research has, has focused on environments like sporting environments and that some sporting environments are simply better at helping athletes grow, uh, have high well-being, perform and other things. And, and, uh, and I think some of the key characteristics around this are, are things such as of psychological safety that you that you are um, that you are able to speak your mind in in, in the in the in the sort of in the environment that you're in that um, well like loads of different things but also that you, you don't have sort of cliques and divisions but there's this sense of community that we are a team and that there is trust honesty between uh, athletes but also athletes and coaches and 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 I think it's a key message is that it's mental health is not an individual thing it's not doesn't belong. In the individual, it's not about whether whether you have a player who's vulnerable or not. It's a it's about whether you build an environment that allow them to be who they are and strive for what's important to them and and feel you know comfortable in that environment. And everybody needs that, even though some athletes look tougher than others. They they all need that. Yeah, you know, I I just want to like sure. to piggyback because this past weekend I, I'm on the couch, you know, watching college football and the hottest name probably in the sports world outside of. Of Messi is Coach Prime. Um, you know, they're in a close game versus Colorado State. You know, there's chippy, you know, words have been said pregame um, and during the game. And a, a particular player, I think he had a drop pass. You know, Coach Prime is old school, so he's going to get on this player. But in this, in this instance, he came to the sideline and Coach Prime was talking with the player. And at the end of their conversation, they gave each other a hug, you know, mid-game. And then the player came out and he you know, he did better. And I mean, that, that just shows 
how important it is. Like, even though you may be old school or you may be this, sometimes you have to, you have to change it up. You have to change up your approach and then to give a player a hug, like, man, like I've messed up. I'm already down, but the coach believes in me. Like, you know, he's, he's willing to give me that talk and um, give me a hug. It's just going to change the dynamic of that player. I think it's very important. Yeah, for sure. Uh, importance of listening. I, I think that's. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you go on that, and then Christopher. <laughs> Man, yes. Um, <laughs> you know, just like dealing with, like, you know, I'm not talking about professionals, but it's all levels, right? But I go home. I, you know, work out with kids, and and you know. It's tough because you may say exactly what you want on the court and the kids will look at you and you will think they're locked in and then they'll get on the court and they will do the opposite of what you said. Um, so I just try to preach that whatever you have to do, once you step in between the lines of whatever your career field is, like be intent with listening. Like try, you know, we're going to keep saying it, but try to be present, you know, because in, in my profession, if you're not present and a coach has to get on you multiple times for not being able to translate from the sideline to the court, then you're going to be on the sidelines even more. Or not present um, on the team. <laughs> you know, and everybody isn't the top dog. Some, you know, the top dog can, you know, he can, he can mess up. You know, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's levels to it. So, but if you're not one of those guys whose leash isn't longer, then, then you need to, you know, you have to be able to listen and carry it out. Yeah, when you say listen, the, my, my first reflection was listening to your players, to your athletes uh, as a coach, and I think that that's sort of equally important that you have a that you, you know you have you have coaches that are very controlling in nature uh, to a degree sometimes where it's too much, but I think you know listening to the athletes allow them to be who they want to be, and that includes personal identity, religion, sexuality, everything. Like, I mean, you need to create a space where all, all of that is, uh, you feel that there's room for me. And and a key way of doing that is, is listening, you know, and, and and actually taking an interest in them, not only as uh, as athletes and potential medalists or potential whatever, <laughs> but as people. And I think when some coaches, when they manage to really do that, every athlete will walk an extra mile for that coach. That's great. That covers both sides of it. Uh, I'm curious about common misconceptions about stress and its effects. And we'll start with you, Christopher, since you're the psychologist. Um, I'm sure there's a boatload of misconceptions. About stress? Yeah, and, and its effects. Well, I mean, for sure. Um, I think uh, we need to realize that uh, without stress, there's no development. So in, in essence, stress is completely necessary. It's, uh, it's part of human human development, I mean, we need to stress the system, whether it's from a physiological standpoint, like that that's how we get stronger, but also also mentally. The, 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 so, so having sort of a, a positive kind of here and now stress is absolutely essential to, to create um, players that are resilient and that develop as, as players. But, but uh, obviously, if that stress is long-term and if you are unable to have high-quality recovery, and uh, and if it's very negative kind of kind of stress that you feel that you're completely outside of your control, it's uh, it's not so good. But I need we need to talk about stress in a different way. The, the way that we talk about it now is as if it's the root of all evil, and uh, and sometimes it is, but also sometimes it's not. And Epe, uh, in the NBA, um, you know there is good stress, normal stress, uh, adrenaline, 
all that kind of stuff. And then there's the piling pressure on your own, on yourself and not being able to be present as you've addressed. Right. Um, yes. The, the good stress is that's your everyday workout. That's that's your, your habits, you know, things of that nature. Coach wants to put this amount of stress up stress on you in practice so when it's in a game it's normal for you but when it get, when it comes to like the stresses like putting on yourself i think it's important that you have somebody you can vent to um that is open you know that y'all can listen to each other uh and build like i would like i say meet them where they are uh and then let's try to build from there because it I mean, the stress is real and I'm not talking about like the, for practice. I'm talking about like real life. Something may happen in the family. You, even though you want to be present, it's still a part of. You. So I think it's important that you know whether you have the ability to have a, a um, therapist or you have a trusted elder or a friend that you can you know you can release you know some of these thoughts. There's a lot in the locker room that that maybe you're a part of as an assistant there, where you you want to give the players, the power, and there's that delicate balance, you know, are they enough? Are they mature enough to handle it? Right. I think, I think it's, um, you want to be able to do that. Right. But that sometimes if the team is, is, is immature enough, then as the coach, you would want to take the reins and just try to try to empower them so they can get to that point. But I think once you have a locker room that's strong enough, you want to be able to hold everybody accountable. Like that's everybody in the locker room. The coach doesn't have to hold you accountable, um, but you know, as whoever your leader is, if somebody isn't um, bringing it today, they can go over to them. Like you know, where are you at today, and things of that nature. Um, I definitely think it's important for the players um, to to lead themselves and then lead as a group. And that's usually where the championship teams are. Those those. <laughs> Yes, I mean you, you. You still need a. You still need a, a real elite coach as well, because you, yep. you know the schemes and such. But you know if he's holding you accountable, and then your players, as players, you're holding each other accountable. I think that's when you get a, a great mix and you give your chance. You give yourself a chance you know, to win a championship. And Christopher, do you, do you see that as well? Like the level of a team bonding, and they are they become their own entity, and that that's so strong rather than maybe the younger kids, a younger team getting together and they have to be led? Uh, absolutely. And I think empowerment is not about giving the athletes the reins to everything all the time at all. So there are there are different levels and right. different sort of layers in there. And some, some athletes will be mature and responsible enough to take responsibility for parts of a training or parts of stuff outside of training. And, and in other cases, they can make decisions around important plays in a match, for example, or how to approach uh, a competition strategy. But it's, it's, not, it's not all of it at once. Um, so I think it all starts and ends with the coach. I think a coach is a very, you can't underestimate the importance of a coach. And and I think it, it becomes a culture of doing these things. And and even that culture begins with the coach. So, so you can't underestimate the role. It's just that the coach's role is not to decide everything, but to find out how can I have my players feel that they are part of making important decisions around their own careers and the way that we play so that they will be willing to, to walk that extra mile for me. Living mindfully is another one of our mottos here and, and, and more around the world, as we've seen. It suggests a daily and sustained approach, living mindfully. Absolutely. I mean, mindfulness is, uh, is um, well, I mean, originally it's, an, it's sort of an, an ancient Eastern concept, right, where it had sort of religious ties. 
now I think it's a, a worldwide thing and it's very popular in the West and it no longer has ties to uh, to, to religion, but it's it's, uh, it's it's described as, as sort of paying attention in a certain way, right? Where it's on purpose, it's in the present moment and, and it's non-judgmentally in the sense that you you realize what's going on inside of me. This is a thought that comes to me now, or now I can feel that I'm nervous before this game. Or but you try to accept that as a normal human experience rather than labeling it as good or bad or whatever. And I think even when we sometimes um, work with this as as a sport performance tool, almost uh, I think it's it's relevant in all spheres of life. And I um, I have no doubt that, um, and we can see that also from the research, that people who work regularly on their mindfulness skills and people who are able to live mindful lives, they have uh, higher levels of mental health and well-being and, um, and just feel that in many ways that their life is more meaningful to them. I've held this back. I wanted to get to, into this earlier, but uh, social media, uh, it's a, a big topic and... We could attack it in in many different ways, but I'll start with you, Epe. And and obviously, uh, it's it's changed over time, and to a point where, well, you tell me where where it is now. It's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, you can't get away from it. Um, it's funny. I was talking to one of the coaches today on the sideline, and he was talking about if he would go into the barbershop. He'll go to the barbershop get a haircut, but that's where he would get his news. Right. And he was okay with sitting at the barbershop for two or three hours. And I looked at him, I said, no, nah, not anymore. We just get on Twitter and we get our news from there. Right. So like social media is all over. I think you have to be aware of who you are and what, what looking at social media does to you and, and, and sit in that. Right. And, um, and if you need help or if you need to put your phone down, you know, do that. Because if not, like it's, you got Twitter, you got, or sorry, you got X, you have TikTok, <laughs> you have IG, you have LinkedIn for the professionals, you still have Facebook. I mean, that is a lot to navigate as an athlete. And depending on your play, if you get on Twitter one day, you may see just a whole bunch of negative things about you and you may internalize that. Um, and that's where it, it can become a problem. But for some people, you know, the, the golden the golden child, Steph Curry, I know in one of, it, one of his interviews, he said, if you'll look at it at halftime as a way to get him going, wow. you know, it's, it's different for, you know, different for different folks. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but for me, it says, you know, you have to be aware and you got to see how your body feels and reacts to it. If it's something that's taking away from you being present and you being mindful, then I think it's something you need to, you need to put down. You don't have to have it in your hand as much because on this level as an athlete, you have a lot of time on your hands, you know, so hopefully you have some good hobbies, you know, that you can rely on that doesn't allow you to just sit with your phone. That's great advice. And and, and Christopher, as a, as a sports psychologist, uh, th there's a lot of meat on this social media bone for you to work with. It is mind boggling. It is everywhere. And, and now that's something that's come about in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years in your field. Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's it's everywhere. I can only echo what Epe says, and uh, and we have athletes who actually try to take responsible responsibility in the sense that they would like to turn off their phones or not have social media on there. Um, the problem is in professional sport, you are also dependent on it. I mean, maybe not in a basketball team, but if you're a, an Olympic athlete in an individual sport, for example, you are 
you have to have your own sponsors. You have to nurture these sponsors. You have to to be a visible face, you know, in order to attract sponsorships and, and things. So you so you need to actually be quite active on these uh, on these different platforms that you, that you may have, right? But you also but they also say that you know it takes their time and takes time away from recovery, and it it uh, it messes up their their ability to be present. So what I will help them do is sometimes to make sort of a, a policy around how they use it. And this can have many shapes. Like if he says it's a, it's different folks for different folks, but it's, um, but it's, uh, you know, it, it often it's about, it's about not having social media at important competitions at all to delete them from their phones. When they do that, it's about having good habits around when you come back home, for example, to your partner or your family, and then you leave it in your jacket outside and you don't don't take it into the kitchen so that when, when you're with people that you actually want to be with. This is not the space where you where you where you sort of check your social media. It's about when you read um, people's comments. Do you, do you need to read it? Do you not need to read it? You can just delete it. And and we have I, I have numerous athletes who actually pay professionals to handle their social media accounts. Yeah. So that they so that they make uh, social media posts, but they and they discuss what it should be about. But you don't need to read all the comments and all that stuff. So so it's a double edged sword in one way. It, it's it's an ended world of opportunity. It's it's an opportunity to to be who you want to be, to present an agenda that's important to you, to contact and reach out to people with good messages and to get sponsorships and to to you know to to show who you are as a person and as an athlete. But it's also uh, it can be really tough <laughs> what people write in there sometimes. For sure, and and at uh, at the NBA level, you know, it's it's one thing. But when you back up and you go to the younger, you know, the younger years in high school and junior high, as they're just finding out who they are, yeah. uh, and and if they want to play sports, uh, and then they have this phone. Right. I didn't grow up with it. Thank goodness my kids do, and we we try poorly and ham-handedly to, <laughs> you know, you're laughing. <laughs> I mean, it's tough, man. Uh, you know, I was home the other day, and uh, I have little siblings, and one of them, like, told me, yeah, I'm getting a phone when I'm 10 years old. <laughs> I looked at him like, yeah, you've lost your mind, young man. You'll get a phone when it's time for you to get a phone. But <laughs> uh, it is so tough, man. It, you know, it's so tough for this younger generation because, um, you know, they're still trying to figure out who they are, right? And if they internalize some of the nasty things they see, you know, it could really become an issue. I mean, so I think, you know, it's just, there's studies, you know, I think there needs to be more, continue more studies and then parents really taking control you know, of, of their child's presence, man, as they continue to grow and mature into the human being, you know, that they're supposed to be. Um, but like for professional, that's what I want to go back. Like if you do run your social media and you want to say something, you know, no, you don't know how it will go over, you should let somebody else read it or let mm -hmm. two or three people read it. Um, and so they can, you know, they can check you. Maybe this isn't the time, you know, that because when I was, Coming up in the, in the NBA, I had my best friend, my my manager. I would send it to him, say, "Yeah, can I say, can I say this?" I said, "No, <laughs> delete it." And you know, I, I got trust in him, so I'm gonna delete it. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's like you can say it, but we need to change the wording, right? So you still are able to get your thoughts out. So I definitely think that's very important. Yeah, uh, you you mentioned you touched on it, parents. 
and that's a whole nother world, but uh, here we are. Um, and, and how that whole energy level for, for athletes and, and we'll, Christopher, I'll, I'll just go back to you. And I know you can't, you can't really get involved there, but is it important for maybe do you understand where the, where the athletes coming from to understand what has happened or is happening in their family? But, but when you're dealing with younger athletes, it, it, it's only natural that you, you speak to the athletes about how, yeah. or sorry, to the parents also about how to how they are part of providing an environment in which the athletes can grow and develop and learn and perform and experience uh, experience well being. But um, but it, it it's got a lot to do with the age of the, of the athletes. And and Epe, I know you've been to uh, games and. Uh, We've all been embarrassed at parents' <laughs> conduct in the stands, <laughs> uh, getting ejected, fighting with refs. <laughs> and and I, I know I, I went to my son's game sometimes, and I could tell he was embarrassed. Not I wasn't screaming and yelling, but I, if I said anything, he, he just wants Dad to watch, and I learned a lesson. Right. Yeah, I think, um, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> you know, summer basketball here is you'll get everything oh, yeah. all in one. Uh, I think it's very... It's important, choose my word, I think it's important that the parents, they understand the world of social media because a lot of a lot of them didn't grow up with it, right? So I think, like, even though we'll talk to the athletes, I think the parents, like um, Chris says, should be present in that conversation so they can understand, and then they can start to understand the stressors or the stress, stress that comes with it or the stresses of, you know, I just want my parent to be my parent. Um, some parents aren't like that. Some parents are more hands-on, uh, and the kids feel away, but it goes back to listening and communicating on, on both sides. You know, if, as a young athlete, if they feel that way, then you, you have to voice the way you feel. Uh, and then hopefully the parent is able to take it in, sit with it, and then y'all can both build from there. Um, but if both sides aren't talking, then it's just, it's a world of hurt. You know, especially on the, the young ass. I, I think we see sometimes that, I mean, the sort of, when you reach a certain age, it's only natural that you need to sort of free yourself or liberate yourself from your parents. Like it's it's part of a normal psychological process of growing up is at some point, like, you know, you now it's my turn to stand on my own feet. And, and we have some cases where the, the parents, sorry, have become the sport to a degree where the normal rebellions, rebellion against your parents uh, unfortunately it becomes sort of a rebellion against the sport then so you leave your sport actually not because you want to leave the sport but just because you want to stand on your own feet which is completely normal human being sort of a task that you're going through at that time and i think that that's a shame when, when that happens um that said i think it's important for us to say that there's not only one good way of being a good parent i mean there's multiple ways and kids are different and and uh, i think it's also not so easy actually to be a a parent of a talented athlete. I mean, uh, you want to help and you're told to back off and some other points you're told to help more and and it, it, it's not easy to navigate always. <laughs> it's difficult. It, it, it is definitely very difficult, but it was great to see, like while we're on this topic, um, when Coco Golf won uh, the U.S. Open and to see her parents there and um, the interaction they had, that was definitely fun. Yeah, absolutely. It is complicated. But when it, you know, when it, it, and it's great for everybody to see that, you know, like you mentioned Coco and her parents. I mean, that to me is, is very important that uh, they understand that the, uh, it, it's the end of a long relationship, not the end, but, you know, it's the, 
it's the height of it, and uh, she's all in. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, we discussed this before we got rolling, uh, Christopher and I. I'm just wondering, at the educational level, uh, maybe different in the U.S. <laughs> than it, it, it is in Denmark or anywhere in Europe or anywhere else, uh, but is there is there any educational level where you, this can be broached you know understanding stressors uh in not only in sports just in life and and um school courses is that too evolved for me to even think of that ooh i mean yes here in 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 the states i think you see what's going on yeah. <laughs> on the political <laughs> space and how it's starting to uh, spill over into our educational systems. Um, I think it, it would be very tough, but I do think there um, there needs to be a space for that, whether it's organizations, because like right now you see the explosion of, of the NIL with college athletes and um, being able to transfer. So I think that's just gonna, it's gonna trickle down. So we definitely need uh, programs and organizations um, to be able to educate the athletes and their parents. Yeah, I think in Denmark, we have a long tradition of thinking that um, whether it's the educational system, they, they need to want to do more with the kids than just teach them math and reading. And in the sport, we need to do more with the young people than to win medals and, and produce results or, or, or top-level athletes. So, And we can discuss what that is then. I mean, what is it that we want to teach them, whether it's taking care of their mental health, whether it's living mindfully, whether it's... Uh, you know, taking responsibility for your life, and but 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 this is is so ingrained in the way that our whole educational system works that I, I can't even imagine a, a setting where this would not be something that would be dis, be discussed in a weekly basis. And I know that coming back to social media, for example, um, there will be discussions in the classrooms around. I mean, why would I? write something in a social media comment field that I would never tell someone face to face what how is what are good communication strategies when you're actually facing real people in the other end and and um and I think so 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 for us I mean much of this stuff is, is so ingrained in the way that we work with young people but I still feel that we could um do better in the sense that we know so much more now about what's important for mental health that we should have the courage to renew the way that we talk about some of these things I hope so. This is fascinating. Just two more thoughts. So it, it, I just had you know, this thought. Players, you know, represent either their country or at least their city or community. Is there any reciprocity available? Is is there any way a community can assist in this overall cause? Or am I being uh, too idealistic? Mm. Ooh, that's tough. Yeah, no, that, I... That's tough. Um, and maybe maybe more, you know, in a in a in an Olympic type sport maybe than the nba but uh, i'm just wondering if there if, if there isn't some sort of uh that the community and the way they approach things uh can make life easier on on athletes anywhere i i, I just think i think by the way they um they they cheer like when you see the world cup and how the fans came communities came to help the country we pushing for the for your guys uh regardless of the outcome i think that's very important and and booing like in the NBA level, I, I you don't expect that there's going to be a home crowd that's going to uh, appreciate or be able to uh, have uh, patience for a team that's lost four in a row and they're getting blown out. <laughs> right? Yeah, that that comes with the nature over here. Uh, but really, <laughs> anywhere because they all expect greatness 
you know, um, or at least fight, you know. But, you know, at the same time, that could, in some instances, that could raise the level of the team's play as well. That's a good point. And Christopher, am I uh, am I out in the night there with thinking that communities can help in some way? I don't think, I think communities in, in Denmark work a little bit differently, but we can talk about sort of Denmark as, as a population perhaps and the way that we support our sure. Olympic athletes. And I think that uh, we, we try, I, I think as a, as a nation, we try to take an interest in them as uh, as people, not only as athletes. And we want to see how they live and what they do. And, and in many ways, that's really good. It can also be a stressor sometimes that you can't be just private, but I think it's, uh, it's it's in many ways it's it's trying to see athletes as more than just uh, potential medalists, but as as people. And we are small enough to to in, to take an interest in in all of our in all of our good athletes, and uh, and 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 I really appreciate that. And I think there is a, it's a sort of good national support when we uh, when we do well in that. Um, I think we do well on the international stage, but it's not like we have. Uh, hundreds of Olympic medalists every every time, right? <laughs> so we can, um, yeah. But I, but I'm not sure exactly what community would, 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 would sort of would correspond to in our in our sports setting. Yeah, that's why I asked. I wasn't sure if if it could apply. My final thought, uh, and this has again been fascinating for me. I'm so lucky to be able to pick your guys' brains. If you were speaking to athletes around the world right now, what would you identify as a few steps they need to do right now? To address their mental health, we'll start with Christopher. Well, I mean, I think so. We can talk about what an athlete needs to do to address their mental health. I think that um, taking it seriously, uh, being honest about it, sharing uh, with people is is very important. I think that mindfulness training. We know that that can be really, really helpful. But I think we need to talk about how mental health is not all about the individual. I mean, we can't put them in a toxic, abusive environment and teach them to meditate. That, that's just not good enough. <laughs> so for me, it's, it's more about how do, we, how do we create environments that allow them to flourish, allow them to throw, where they don't need to be extremely mentally tough to handle something inhuman. No, we need to provide good environments that allow them to do that. So I think it's, it's more a task for us in the sports world than for the athletes. It should be, at least. Hmm. That's great. That's that's great, uh, Chris. That was really good. Um, For me, I would say take a deep breath, reflect, and be aware of who you are and whose you are. Listen and communicate, right? And then build from there. And whatever it it looks like for you is going to be different from the person on the left or the person on the right. But do what works for you, you know, uh, and keep fighting the good fight. Be a good person as well. There's the key, uh, among many others. Uh, it, it, if I missed anything, this is your guys' chance. Uh, this has been, again, uh, I really appreciate the time you've put in and the thought. Uh, if there's anything else you guys want to add, this is it. Reiterate what Chris said. It, it, um, it's normal. Some of these, the stresses of the game, it's normal. So you, we should never feel like we're the only ones going through it. Uh, you know, speak up, find your community, and build. Um, and then just, like I say, be the best human you can be and continue to work at your craft and be the best, you know, be the best athlete you can um, for yourself, for your team, for your country for your legacy. Christopher? Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I can only I can only echo that thought. And I think if I then look 
away from the athlete again to sort of the the environment and the people around it. I I think we've always known that sport, the way that we you know promote young people and how we help people in sport, um, has to be about more than just results and medals and stuff. And and we 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 used to say that we want to teach athletes, young people, to be. Uh, dedicated and ambitious and maybe even perfectionistic and to never give up. And and I think to a degree, at least what we see in, in Western Europe is that they are more than plenty good at that already. So now we need to talk about the justification of, of having elite sport. What is it that we want to show? And my dream is that sport can be the arena that shows that we can sort of teach these athletes that they can make a mistake and forgive themselves that they can have goals in the future but still remain present moment focused, that um, that they can live a good life and still become best in the world. And it doesn't have to be an opposition, it doesn't have to be tough all the time. Um, so I, I think we, we could have some discussions around what is it that we want to show the world uh, that we can do in elite sport that is of relevance in all arenas of life. Well, that was uh, a master class right there from both of you, Christopher Henriksen and Ibeudo. Thank you guys for helping so many people out there. Thank you for having us. I, I look forward to our next conversation. It was an absolute pleasure. This is the Olympics.com podcast. podcast. I love these deep dives into the mental side of sport and life. So with all those insights and tools for a better way to construct a living mindfully plan for every day, let me remind you about that resource that's invaluable for anyone looking to enhance their mental and emotional well-being. Our Athlete 365 platform, available right here on olympics.com. Here you'll find a wealth of resources to guide you on your journey to mental wellness. For more insights on this crucial topic for elite athletes and just plain old people like you and me, let me remind you of one of my favorite podcasts from earlier this year, February 25th, Deep Dive into Mental Health Issues and Solutions, featuring CeCe Landy, Simone Biles' coach, the winningest short track speed skater in Olympic history, Italy's Ariana Fontana, and the NBA's Milwaukee Bucks team performance psychologist, Dr. Craig Manning. Well worth your time. That's it for this episode of the Olympics.com podcast. Hit us up at Olympics with any feedback you have. We love feedback. It helps us get better. You can also hit me up on my Twitter at TK Sports Tweets. Thanks for being part of the Olympic community and follow the road to Paris 2024 Olympic qualifications here as well. See you next time. For more in-depth and original Olympics-related feature content, search our platforms here on Olympics.com.